All right. Well, I am impressed at how you all started to get much louder when it came to bad things you could do to people you have a disagreement with. It's a little bit weird, but we'll just take it at face value. Well, so far in the series, Sorry Not Sorry, we have talked about why it can be hard to say those words, I'm sorry. We've talked about placing blame, how to get out of this kind of blame cycle. We've looked at what can happen in us as Jesus works on our hearts and, and gives us the courage to not just say I'm sorry, but to actually go back and make some things right. But there is one part of sorry that we have not gotten into yet, and it's a whole different kind of sorry, one that you say to somebody who's going through something terrible. The kind of sorry that expresses empathy. Now, we're going to use that word empathy quite a bit this morning, and I want to make sure we're all working from the same definition. So let me put one up. Empathy is the action of understanding, being aware of, being sensitive to, and vicariously experiencing the feelings, thoughts, experience of someone else. Empathy is when you're able to make yourself acutely aware somebody else is going through something and you show sensitivity because of that thing. You, you seek to understand what's going on with them and you might even experience a little bit of what they're experiencing. And I don't know if we are as empathetic as we think we are. Um, there's a psychologist at the, who's the founder of the Center for Adult Development in Washington, D.C., and, and he believes many of us suffer from something he calls empathy deficit disorder. Um, you've heard of attention deficit disorder, ADD. This is EDD. And he believes empathy is a learned skill that you have to pick it up somewhere, but because of that, it can also be unlearned. And as our culture is focused more on acquiring things and, and status, maybe empathy has been kind of unlearned. In fact, he says a very interesting thing. I want to put it up on the screens. He says, we value moving on when somebody goes through something tragic over thoughtful reflection when somebody goes through something. When someone goes through something difficult, our value of how can I help you move on takes priority over how can I help you Reflect on what it is you're feeling. Because of this, our typical response is when we're talking to somebody in pain, we find ourselves using lines that range from, well, it could be worse, to let's take your mind off of this and think about something else. And, and I think the hope is, you know, we say those things to try to soothe someone, but really what we're saying when we, when we say those things is do not confront me with things that are unpleasant. Don't bother me with your pain. And this tendency in us to avoid empathy, whether we realize we're doing it or not, it can destroy our relationships, our families. When we avoid empathy, it can lead to divorce. I'll tell you, I think avoiding empathy is part of why we have global destruction and war at times. But do you know how beautiful our world would be if we could get this right? Galatians 6.2, let's put this up. It says, bear one another's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Jesus is to love God and then to love other people as yourself. And Paul tells us the way that you do that is through bearing one another's burdens through empathy. All right, in 2019, six months before COVID, we did a series here at Crosswinds called There's No Good Card for This. And we actually talked through how you come alongside people who are hurting. And, and I vividly remember wishing we had done something in that series. I wished that we had asked people who'd gone through some pain and loss, would you come share with us directly what was helpful for you in that? 
and what was not helpful for you as you went through what you went through from other people. Well, as we started this series, Sorry Not Sorry, I thought today might be our chance to do that. And actually, we have some people on our ministry staff here at Crosswinds who are, are willing to share a little bit of their very real loss and how when it came to empathy from others there were things that people did that helped and some things that were not so helpful so i want to invite those people up here derek walker our worship pastor and sophia acero our creative arts pastor and will bennett who you guys saw earlier he's one of our small groups division directors will you welcome them up to the stage all right um, these guys are, are, are people who I've talked to in the last week or so about this, and, and they've all been very willing to be uh, pretty vulnerable with us this morning and kind of take off some, some masks that might normally be there on a Sunday. And, and I'm going to just ask you guys uh, a hard question. Uh, can you each just share with us right away a little bit about some of the loss that you've gone through? And um, more than the details of it, we, the details would be good, but, but also how it affected you in that moment. Yeah, so uh, five years ago uh, this weekend, uh, we just finished celebrating my daughter's first birthday. Uh, you know, all the guests are leaving, we clean the house, and we sit down to maybe get some rest, and I get a call um, from my brother saying, hey, I need you to, something's going on with dad, I need you to come here right now. So uh, drove to my parents' house, arrived to, to see him put on a stretcher, and so uh, we then uh, went to the hospital, and it wasn't long until they told us that he had passed from a heart attack, very unexpectedly, uh, pretty young. And so for me, I was already in the middle of a really weird life phase in between churches, in between jobs, trying to figure out what was next for me. And so what I saw uh, right there was, was my life and my kind of role changed from just taking care of my family, like my immediate family, to being kind of like the fixer. Like, okay, we got to plan a funeral. We got to do all this. We got to do this. And just kind of doing a lot to make sure everybody kind of stuck together and, and stayed on, on task. So that was, that was my... Yeah, and Derek, as experience. you say, just to make sure we're all getting it, you get this phone call and it is shaking for you of course and, sure and, oh, and, yeah uh, and then because of who you are now in the family and your dad being gone you you get moved very quickly into this mm -hmm. fix-it role yeah for yeah. sure All right. will do you mind sharing a little bit of your story yeah um 17 years ago this weekend uh i was 10 and it was a saturday morning and i was so excited because saturday mornings i would watch uh, cartoons with my dad he was a big biker and so he would he would always go on a, a bike ride he'd come back and he told my mom, hey, I got this weird, you know, kind of pain in my chest. And he said, oh, well, let's keep an eye on it. So, you know, he took a shower, he came out, and he sat down on the couch. You know, I had the TV prepped and ready to go. And that was it. He had a heart attack right there. And I didn't know, I mean, I'm 10, I don't know what these weird noises are. He's, you know, his body's shaking. And, uh, you know, I'm screaming for my mom. She tells me to go get the police officer who lives across the street. So I run over there. Long story short, it's a blur. Uh, we ran back and, you know, going to, your, going to my room and, and hearing the ambulance come and hearing the uh, EMTs and paramedics trying to uh, keep him alive, um, you know, and then somehow we end up at the hospital and even at 10, my brain was struggling to understand this, this new reality. My Superman, my dad, my, my hero, what does this mean? Superman doesn't die, like, he's Superman. My, my dad's my dad, like, how, this, this can't be real. Um, but even at 10, I was forced to acknowledge that this happens. This is life. Yeah. And then, Will, I, I know that uh, to, to add to that, uh, a couple of years ago, 
more tragedy. You mind sharing a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, May 14th is a rough day. Um, and, and so going into May, there's always this kind of hesitancy. No matter how far away you might be from a loss, uh, there's always that, that pain, uh, that, that hurt. And uh, it was May 7th of 2019, so three years ago, and, and uh, my mom called me. I'm like, that's weird. Like, mom doesn't call me in the middle of the work day. Like, what's going on? She calls me a second time and a third time and a fourth time. And if, if you've ever had a, a serious event in your family, um, you start dreading multiple phone calls back to back because it's 50-50. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I pick it up and she says, Will, your sister's been in a car accident. She's with your father now. And my brain, like... I, you know, at the time, I'm, I'm 25, 24, and I was like, wait, I, I just told her about Paige, like my wife, like at the time I was telling my sister, I'm going to propose to this girl and I can't wait for you to meet her and I can't wait to meet my niece. She just had a baby girl three months old. Like we had all this future ahead of us as a brother and sister to, to grow together, to be close. I have to accept this reality? I don't want to. And uh, you know in the movies when, when they like slow-mo fall to their knees and they're like, no. <laughs> it happens. That happened to me because as these words came out of my mom's mouth over the phone, it literally pushed me to the ground. I was broken. Mm -hmm. I, I did not want to accept this new reality. Well, we can, we can tell even just as you share it how it, it affects you still, and uh, obviously. So thank you for taking off your mask and sharing it. Um, Sophia, you mind filling us in? Yeah. Um, gosh, May seems to be a really rough month for all of us. May is I'm, rough, uh, yeah, we don't <laughs> like May too often, so <laughs> give us a hug afterwards, please. Um, May um, in 2007, May 23rd, my dad passed um, very at age 55. And, um, you know, um, when you're 22 and your dad dies, I just, the first thing I thought of was, who's going to walk me down the aisle? Um, that was kind of the, the, the thing I was kind of wrestling with. Um, it was May 23rd. I was home with my nephew, who was very, very sick. And I had just finished dropping off my sister at the airport. She was on her way to a 10-year high school um, reunion in Florida where we used to live and um, she was going to have a layover. My dad at the time, mom and dad are divorced by this time, but uh, he was living in Chicago and uh, they had a huge layover and they were so excited because they planned this whole lunch in Chicago because my sister's plane was going to be delayed there for quite a long time and uh, the layover was going to take more than enough time for them to hang out, have lunch and um, I drive back from the airport, my nephew's sick put him down, get him all set, and the phone rings. I'm like, oh, could it be Natalie? Do we need to go back and get her? You know, because those airport things, you just never know. Um, and it was someone in Chicago, and they're just like, is this the residence of Raul David Acero? And I was like, yeah, what did my dad do? Um, <laughs> that was the first thought that came to my mind, is what did he do? <laughs> is he in jail? Because I'm all the way in California. I can't get him. I'm, I don't know. Uh, I'm supposed to be going to jail, not him. Um, I'm 22. <laughs> um, but um, so, and they're like, uh, no, your, your, your father uh, has passed away suddenly. And I was like, no, you have the wrong 
number. He was just on his way to go meet my sister. So it was almost instinctively, it was just like, this is not true. This, you're talking, of, you have the wrong role. That's, that's not my dad. I hung up on her and I was like, no, this is not right. They have the wrong number and they shouldn't be playing with my emotions like this. And the phone rings again. They're like, I'm sorry, this is, I know that this is sudden and I know that this is tragic for you, um, but you need to come and collect him. He's at the hospital. He died very suddenly in the emergency um, room. And um, I just kind of, what Will described, I just collapsed. I absolutely just, it was just surreal. Um, especially when you have a, a very distant relationship. We were working on it, but we weren't quite there yet. You know, and you think you have all the time in the world to, I'll get around to that. I was 22. Give me 25 at least when I'm grown up. Um, and it, it just wasn't, wasn't the case in, in my, yeah. my story. Thanks, Sophia. Um, let me ask you this question. Derek, I'll ask you this. Yeah. Uh, you know, before we, we uh, went into the, the, the time where we all turned and spoke with each other, there was a question we asked on the screen. Uh, basically, what do you do when you just found out that somebody is going through something like this? And I think the first option had to do with calling and talking to them. The second one was avoiding them. The third one was making lasagna. And uh, I, I think a lot of us fall into the second one because we don't know if it's time to make a lasagna yet. We don't know how many lasagnas they're going to get. Um, we don't know if they're already inundated with calls. We don't know if we're close enough to that person to call them. We had some friction with that person last time we saw them. Is it okay to call? Um, what did it look like for you and what would have been you know, valuable for you in that moment? Yeah, you know, for me, like I, I mentioned earlier, we were definitely kind of going through a major life change. And part of that life change was our community. We were, we were kind of having a, there was some tension there for us and, and people I'd been working alongside for a long time. And, and, uh, but I, what I just remember is that, um, is that so many people uh, were able, and I'm really thankful, were able to look past that and not kind of fall into that like, oh, I don't, you know, for me, I wasn't sitting I wasn't gatekeeping like my grief, right? I wasn't like, you can come in, you stay out, you come in, yeah. you're lame, you're cool, come in, you know? Yeah. I was just very much like, I need, I need people around me. Yeah. And, and so I, I just remember at that moment, a lot of people who could have been like, ooh, it's gonna be awkward. We just had a really tense conversation two days earlier and you know, still making that decision to be intentional about being around me and my family. And when they did, you weren't thinking about it. Going. No, I mean, yeah. in fact, I, I, a lot of that is so much of that is such a blur. Those those weeks after, we're trying to figure out what to do next, and yeah. I, I, I wasn't looking around going like, why are you here? I was like, thank you. Oh yeah. my goodness, yeah. Anybody who hears about your grief is in a position to, to express empathy, yeah. regardless of how close they are to you, where you last left them. Yeah, I think there's probably some some decision making to be done within that, and some like wisdom needs to be applied, but. Yeah. There wasn't anybody who I was like, not you. I don't want, you know, that yeah. just wasn't where I was at, you know. All right, let me ask all of you this question. Um, what was it, and, and, and most of us as we've been listening uh, have experienced some kind of loss, so it's hard. Uh, we want to put ourselves in the, the person who's lost shoes right now. I'm going to ask everybody to step into the, I'm across the table from somebody who's lost, um, uh, who's lost someone and is in grief. Uh, what was helpful, or uh, let me ask it this way first. What was not helpful? that people said to you as you were in the middle of what you were in? For me, it was the, uh, at 10, um, I, I remember a, a good family friend who had just, his father had passed away at, at like 
85, 86, and he, and he pulls me aside and he says, Will, I know how you feel. No, you don't. I'm 10 and I just lost my dad. Like you had time with your dad. Like, yeah. and I'm 10, I can't comprehend these things. But to me, I appreciate the intent, but those words are just another knife in, my reality is not the one that I want. My person mm -hmm. is gone. Uh -huh. yeah. And as I've gotten older, I've come to understand too, where I lost my dad, you mentioned something I remember my sister saying was, she was grieving dad one day and, and she said, Will, you don't get it. I'm not gonna have dad walk me down the aisle. Mm -hmm. And it hit me, oh, she lost someone that is different from the person that I lost. And mm -hmm. you know, my mom, mm -hmm. she lost her husband. So mm -hmm. she'd wake up to an empty bed. Mm -hmm. That's different from my dad. There's a, a multifaceted part of grief that even as we're together, united in the hurt, mm -hmm. we're each experiencing a unique thing. So to say, I know how you feel. Yeah. You mm. may feel something, but you don't feel what I feel. You can't feel what I feel. Right. Yeah, mm. yeah. What else? What else did people share with you guys that wasn't helpful? Um, for me, um, I know uh, right off the gate when my dad passed, we had a lot of family. So I'm Venezuelan, so we usually, we always ride in like about 50 deep. <laughs> um, so that's just how Latins roll. So immediately when my dad passed, I mean family from Venezuela, from Caracas, from places I can't even pronounce because I don't know Spanish, but they were just coming in from all over the place. And I just had aunts and, and cousins up the wazoo. And um, you know, the, the one thing that I think that was just not helpful, and uh, excuse me if I'm not over it yet. I, I, and, well, I went to therapy, but I think I need to go back because it still kind of angers me. Um, but one of my, my aunts, you know, bless her heart, as they say in Georgia, um, <laughs> she's like, well, at least you weren't close to your dad. Mm. Like I said, I may have to go see my therapist. Let me call her right now. Um, it, it still bugs me to this day that that, that was said. It, that made no, if, it, if anything, it reminded me of all the time that I had that I didn't use wisely. Yeah. It, it, it reminded me of the distance between me and my father and how much time I thought I had with him. And it reminds me of how much I didn't worry. Like, it just wasn't helpful at all. Yeah. Another one that I heard was, was your dad saved? Now, I don't know. I've been in church my whole life. But, um, you know, when, when you lose your dad um, at 22, or anybody for that matter, was he saved is just not the appropriate thing to ask or, you know, then you get that. Well, you'll see him again. I don't want to see him again. I want to see him now. Yeah. I want him here now with me. Yeah. So those it, are yeah, it, commenting on that, since we are in a church and uh, I'd say probably many of us are guilty of that kind of question in those moments. Was he saved? Never a good question. Because what, what are your options? What's that going to lead? It's a no win. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you say he it's was a, not, then this is a, a terrible lose. conversation we have to have. Uh, uh, and if you say he was, then, then, then that just leads to a, well, then he's in a better place, which is not a great thing either. <laughs> not this place. Yeah, yeah, he's not in this place. Yeah. Yes, and, and I, I need him. I want him in yeah. this place right now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What else? Other things that weren't helpful? Yeah, I think, I think um, you know, my dad was just old school Livermore, so he went to high school here. And so it felt like for a long time I couldn't go to the grocery market or the farmer's market or anywhere without somebody stopping me and wanting to, like, almost like practice their eulogies for my dad on me. <laughs> and it was like, 
like they're processing, you know, and they're talking, and, and I'm just sitting there going like, I, I don't know if I'm the right person to help you process it. Every time someone runs into you or sees you, like, it you know, becomes an opportunity I, I, I to I love ask. your dad yeah. so much, and, and I was yeah. like, thank you, but yeah. it almost put me in a weird position of being like, do you need me to comfort you? Like, I don't know if I can do that right now, you know? Yeah. And, that, yeah. that what do you want from me? What do you, yeah. yeah. Any time where I, where I felt like I was being put in a position to be something for someone else, Mm -hmm. just was, you talk about lose-lose, that was like a no-win for me. I was like, I don't think I have the capacity around to yeah. do what you need me to do. You had mentioned people would come up and they would go, your dad loved you so much. Yeah. Your dad which, was so proud of you. Which, which I would like, think on hearing that, that that would be comforting yeah, in a moment. You know, it was funny, man, because I, I was just very aware of my dad being proud of me. I knew my dad loved me. And yeah. we had had an interesting relationship, but towards the end, we had kids, so he had granddaughters, and we were seeing a relationship get get better, but I never doubted my dad's love for me, never doubted how proud he was for me, yeah. and so when people would just say, your dad loved you, I'd be like, thanks, Yeah. he loved you too, I don't know, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you, you know, yeah. it was just, it was almost like, it was like a conversation stopper, it was like, well, thank you, Yeah. bye. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm watching the clock, we're gonna, we're gonna have to go a little quick through this last question, but, but what was helpful, what were the things people said or did that really was what you needed in, mm -hmm. in that moment? For me, I, um, I think um, it was kind of what Derek was saying just right now when people were just describing their, you know, giving their eulogies or just like kind of expressing their emotions and trying to honor him as best as they know how to Derek. I think for me, um, there's so many different ways to honor and sometimes honor doesn't have any words and honor is just an action. And for me, it was so cool. So my dad worked for a very large airline company for many, many years, and he was so loved, and um, so when I flew to go and pick up my dad's body with my sister, I met her in Chicago, um, the airline company provided us a whole air, uh, a plane to ourselves to transport his body from Chicago to California, um, we were, we were in the plane, and you know, they, they, tr they rolled out the red carpet for us, and they, they treated us like gold, and we looked out the airplane window, and they were like, look out to your right, ladies. Um, and I mean, I'm talking pilots, like a royal parade, and they, they uh, waitresses and airline attendants and stewardesses and, and, and uh, the, air, uh, the tarmac workers all, and it was just like this line, and they brought my dad in, and they carried him like pallbearers and his uh, wooden wow. temporary casket, and they pushed it, and we just, I think that was the first real cry me and my sister had at that yeah. moment. Just that honor in that moment, I knew my dad was loved. I didn't need to hear their stories about their encounter with him, if he was good, if he was a good-hearted person, uh, the blood that I carry within me, that who, who's a part of me. Like, in that moment, that honor was just an unspoken yeah. blessing. Sometimes it's not the words, it's the actions that yeah. show honor. Will, can you think of anything that yeah. was helpful? Uh, I think of my best friend, Josh, um, who embraced the awkwardness in like, I had this deep traumatic event, and if I talk about it, that, that's uncomfortable. Like, death is a reality that is awkward yeah. to talk about. And he just sat with me mm. when I'm ta sharing memories of my dad or talking about my dad or making a joke that is, like, a little dark because, like, oh, crud, like, his dad died at 10. Like, he's going to be a little quirky. Yeah. Like, but he embraced that. Yeah. And he said, you're hurting. I love yeah. you through sitting with me. It's present with you. Yeah in the middle of it, yeah. And also the, the lasagnas are appreciated, even if there's a, <laughs> I, it, a concrete way of saying I love you, yeah. because like Derek mentioned, we're in survival mode. Yeah. Yeah. I, 
even when my sister passed away, I, I would forget to eat. That's part of grief is you yeah. just, you, you're trying to survive. I'm so, glad you said that. It, yeah. it, so people don't get a freezer full of lasagna <laughs> next time something happens. But, but what you're talking about is predicting what someone might need, knowing that it's going to be a while till they know what they need. You forget yeah. to eat. Exactly. You, 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 you need someone to say, I, I think you Have might. you drank water today? Yeah. I yeah. needed that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Derek, you, you told a story uh, that was really <laughs> important of something that happened that was helpful. Yeah. Uh, it's like I said, you know, the, I just pretty much went into like program director mode, which is kind of like my, that's what I tend to do. So planning the funeral, making sure that all the family could, could attend, making sure that my dad's eulogy got in the paper and, and, uh, and who was going to speak at the memorials kind of stuff. And so the day of my dad's funeral, it was a lot. So we, we do the service and then do the reception and everyone's coming to you and they're talking to you and they're doing that thing they think, the, 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 the thing they think you need, which was nice. And, yeah. and I was just so exhausted. So like I had to step out for a little bit just because I was like, my mental capacity, is, it's gone. And so I went out and my, one, of my, one of my best friends was kind of hanging out in the, the lobby. And so I just sat with him. We didn't say anything, and he just kind of sat together, and and it's like just breathing deep. And then um, this 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 uh, this lady comes out. She's leaving the reception, and she stops me. She goes, "Derek, we never met, but I went to high school with your dad, and he was great. And I'm just really sad he's gone." And I said, "Thank you." And she goes, "And you know one thing I'm I'm really gonna miss is um, whenever you and your daughter, she's telling this to me, would." Uh, I know that you guys, we used to review snacks online on YouTube. It was just a dumb thing we did because I was like, I'm going to be a YouTube star. No, no. And, uh, but we would review snacks on YouTube. And she's like, you know, your dad would always send me the links to the video whenever you guys would put a new video out. And I just loved those videos so much watching you and your daughter talk about snacks. And she's like, and I'm so sad now because he, he's gone. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to see those videos anymore. And without even thinking, I just go, well, we got a YouTube channel. I, I could give you the address. And I went, uh, yeah, here's the address. You know, just go there, like, subscribe, all that kind of stuff. Don't, don't forget to like and subscribe. Exactly. Just, I didn't even think about it. And then I, and she goes, thank you. She walks off. And it, my friend just goes, at your own dad's funeral. <laughs> and, and I just laughed. Yeah. Started laughing and yeah. laughing. And then I started crying. Yeah. Because that was like 100% what I needed. Yeah. It was my reminder that life is going on. Yeah. Um, we're going to get to joke about things that we shouldn't joke about. <laughs> yeah. We're going to get to roast each other when we do funny, <laughs> awkward things that we didn't mean to do. And I'll tell you, man, that was what I needed. I needed someone to introduce humor when the time was right, right. back into my life. And, and that, to me, is still the moment where I'm like, that's kind of where the healing started for me, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think we struggle with words because there are no good words when something happens like this, right? There's no good words. Uh, and so sometimes the best words that reflect empathy are just, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm so sorry for your loss. Uh, one of the, the passages that Derek mentioned earlier this week when we were talking was Psalm 34:18. I want to just put it up. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The God that we follow tells us in scripture, not that when it comes to the brokenhearted, uh, that he makes everything go away that's wrong or that he helps them move on quickly when something's wrong or that he has the perfect word that makes everybody feel better. Just says God draws near to the brokenhearted and if that's God's move, maybe that's supposed to be our move to draw near.
Um, so would you thank our, our friends for joining us up here today? All right, you can come alongside grieving people in whatever it is they're going through. We all have those people in our lives. We're going to have those people in our lives. What would it be for you to be someone who draws near and bears burdens and bring that into your exercise of what it is to follow Jesus, to express the heart of God for his people? Because what I'll tell you is the I'm sorry that they hear from you, I'm sorry for your loss, might be the I'm sorry they're needing to hear from God. Um, before we go today, I, I want to just shift gears with you real quick for the last few minutes we've got together and um, fill you in on something that's going to be happening in my life and uh, directly around Crosswinds over the next few months. Uh, one of the things that Crosswinds has been so generous to do over the years, over its history, is it's allowed its pastors uh, every five years to take a sabbatical. Uh, for those of you who don't know, a sabbatical is a, a predetermined period of time where somebody like me steps out of their usual day-to-day -day role and the responsibilities that go with it and invites other people into that role while they're gone and they take some time away to do some things that they would otherwise not be able to do in their every day. Uh, this concept actually comes out of the Bible in Leviticus 25. Uh, God is talking to his people, commanding them about what it is to not just take a day of Sabbath, but actually a year an entire year of Sabbath where they do no work or, or, or normal work, really. Now, thousands of years ago, God gives this to them. This was a good idea. But truth be told, uh, most people back then never got around to taking a year off because people couldn't afford to not work for a year back then any more than most of us can afford to not work for a year right now. Uh, that sabbatical year concept has been as real back then uh, and now as like Puff the Magic Dragon. It just didn't exist. And, and yet, every once in a while, you find a church that says, no, we think this might be a good idea for our pastors. Not an entire year, 52 weeks, but maybe like six to eight weeks. And in Crosswinds, you have been so generous, our elders and our staff and their leadership, to make this that kind of church. We would like to see our pastor do this every five years. Um, the problem has been that while Crosswinds has been that kind of church, um, I have not been that kind of pastor. Uh, my, my fifth year, uh, when the opportunity presented itself here for me to go take a sabbatical, um, I passed because we were transitioning from our founding pastor uh, to me here in this senior pastor position, and that would not have been a good time to take one. A few years later, when it might have been great timing, it became bad timing again because we were moving out here to this campus. Um, a few years after that, when we finally got established, we had some serious internal turmoil going on in our staff, and, and I couldn't go. Uh, two years ago, February of 2020, our elders and I talked about it. This was going to be the summer of sabbatical. <laughs> we all know what happened in March of 2020. We had to reinvent church online, and we all knew it wasn't the right time to say to the team, hey, it's all yours. Good luck. And so... Uh, our elders and I decided to, to start talking again this past winter, and Jody and I talked, and Matt, and, and we recognized that this really would work this year, and tomorrow morning, uh, I start a sabbatical for the next eight weeks. Now, that might be a, oh, thanks. Might be a surprise to you. We've been working on it for nine years. Um, I, I want to take just a couple moments and share with you a little bit of what I'll, I'll be doing uh, and actually how you can help me with this sabbatical because believe it or not, you can help make this thing successful. 
and then our elders are going to come up and pray for me, and then we're going to get out of here. Don't forget, we have 18 baptisms today out in the courtyard. So um, I believe that God has got some really important things to do in me over the next eight weeks. Uh, a sabbatical uh, is not a long vacation. It's not a time to read leadership books. It's not a time to go visit great churches and learn from them, although I will be visiting some churches. Uh, it's not a time to write a book, do research, uh, work on a project. Those are all good things. And that's not to suggest that somebody in some industry might not use a sabbatical for that. But for a pastor, it's a time to stop, to stop leading, to stop sermon planning, to stop ministering, to stop visioning the future of the church, it is a time for your pastors to just be with God, to have extended silence and solitude with Jesus. It's a time to restore your soul. Uh, Dallas Willard once said, I can state without wavering that the single greatest need of the church today is the restoration of ministers. What is required for, for being a minister is quite a different approach to their life and work. It's a matter of leading them into a massive shift of the dynamics of their personality under God. And it's one you can't just go do by more books and conferences. Look at this line. They need to be taken out of the circulation for a sufficiently long time to revision and restructure their lives in communion with Jesus and his kingdom. I don't know that I love the idea of being taken out of circulation, <laughs> but, but actually, my not loving that idea might be something God needs to do some work on in me. So for me, that's gonna involve some time revisiting some places where God has been very loud in speaking to me in my life. I, I leave tomorrow for a week in Chicago uh, it's going to involve a lot of reading and prayer and journaling in those places. Um, the sabbatical is going to involve some extended time with Andrea to do some marriage stuff. Our marriage is good. Uh, we want to keep it that way, so we're going to focus on each other. It's going to involve some time with each of my kids. It's going to involve listening to some things that I think God has been stirring in me about me and about this church I have a list of things that I think God wants me to talk to him about. And again, just listen. And it's going to involve some boundaries. I won't be here on Sundays. Um, I will not be watching online. I will not be checking email. Praise God, I don't have to check email. In fact, um, I, am, I am pulling the SIM card out of my phone at 1 o'clock today. I won't get texts. I won't get phone calls. You guys, I went and got a burner. I got a burner with a new phone number so nobody can reach me. And the only people who have it right now are Jody and Matt and uh, one of our elders and my spiritual director and, and my wife and kids. In fact, um, when I sent them my new phone number, I attached a fake name and picture for the next eight weeks. If they need to call me in their phone, they will have to call me uh, by my, my, my sabbatical name, Jimmy Sabbatical, which is the picture <laughs> that I gave them with my new contact card. All that to say... If you email me, you text me, I'm not going to get it. And, and from what I've heard speaking with, with other pastors who've done the sabbatical thing, it is impossible when you get back from eight weeks to respond to eight weeks' worth of communication. Uh, if you do, you've ruined everything that happened on the sabbatical. So uh, what I've been directed to do is to tell you, if you're trying to communicate with me, literally delay your communication until July 11th uh, when my email and phone get turned back on. Otherwise, I will not get it, and you'll never get a response. I'll never see it. Or better yet, um, reach out to the other Crosswind staff. 
And, and actually, this is where you can help me. One of the reasons I need to be pulled out of circulation is not just for me. It's for our church. It's so that other leaders can step into roles that they would never get to do with me here all the time. And I am so excited for you as a church as these other people get to do that. You guys, Jody Tay, our associate pastor, I've had the privilege of working with her for 14 years and watching her grow as a leader and as a visionary and as a teacher. And I am excited for her leadership of you, our congregation, our elders, of the heart of our church while I'm gone. Um, Matt Van Gint, our executive pastor, Matt is such a good leader. The way he leads out our staff culture, builds our team, keeps this place running smoothly. Um, they'll do great without me, but everyone is going to be doing a little bit of extra without me and where we could use your help. Since everyone on our staff is going to have a little bit more on their plate, would you consider volunteering somewhere over the next eight weeks? The greatest thing you could do to help me on my sabbatical is help our staff somewhere. Just ask Jody, ask Matt, any one of the three that you saw up here a few minutes ago, how can I, over the next few months, what do you need from me? How can I help out around here? Crossings, that would be the greatest gift that you could give me. All right, one more would for, for you to be here each week. Or if you're out of the area, for you to watch it online and, and cheer on this team and these teachers. Um, we have a great teaching lineup for when I'm gone. Starting next week with a friend of mine we've had teach here before, Albert Hung. He is so good. You loved him last time he was here, and he was willing to come and kick off my sabbatical. Um, Jody's going to teach. Derek's going to teach. Sophia is going to teach. Wear your seatbelts for that one. It's going to be a wild ride. <laughs> Uh, Andrea is going to teach. I should say, while I'm on sabbatical, Andrea is not. You can call, text, email her all you want. <laughs> she loves it. And then uh, somewhere in the midst of all of this, uh, Sharon Norris Elliott is going to come back, who I just think is so much fun. Uh, if you have not been here when she's taught, make sure you're here. Um, if you want to help me, volunteer and show up. All right, elders, would you come up and uh, would you pray for me before I, I head out of town and uh, we'll invite these guys up. Oh, and you can all stand and pray with us. Would you do that? Yeah, I will invite you to stand. Um, Chris, I'm gonna ask you to kind of just stand yeah. here. We're gonna come around you, elders, if you could just kind of come around. Um, on behalf of our elder board, we are so thrilled uh, that Chris is taking this time. And here's what you need to know as you kind of head out for the next two months. I thought I got this out of my system during the first service, but I'm getting emotional again because you are an amazing senior pastor. The way that you lead this church and, and you love us is like no other. The way that you develop our staff, that you look out for us, the way you protect us, you believe in us and we don't believe in ourselves. And um, your leadership here is going to be missed. And we know that God has special things for you um, on your time away. And, and we will look forward to hearing about those things in eight weeks, you guys, eight weeks. So we're gonna pray for you. I'm gonna ask John L. Iverson, um, who is a longtime elder here, to um, start our prayer. And then Kyle, you're going to finish, and uh, I'm going to invite you to, as you stand, if you just feel so led to maybe just put a hand forward in partnership uh, as we pray for Chris. Dear Heavenly Father, I just echo everything that Jody has said, 
giving praise to you for the precious gift of Chris as our senior pastor. How I thank you for the giftedness that you have given him and that he so unselfishly uses to lead us. God, as he enters these dedicated weeks of intentional time to reflect on where he has seen you working in his life to make him who he is today, and as he is looking forward to what you are going to continue to do and explore with you what you want him to do next, I pray that you will help him to be able to turn off the noise of daily life and that he will be able to hear you as you speak to his heart and reveal yourself to him afresh in his soul. We really do pray that you will do exceedingly more than what he is hoping for and even dreaming for. Help him to pay undivided attention to the stirrings that you have placed in him. As he has said, some are about himself, some are about the world, some are about crosswinds. But we just pray that he'll be able to give his undivided attention to those things and that you will um, just reveal yourself to him in new uh, ways that he will heed. Help him to pay undivided attention attention to, to the dedicated time with his family, and that that time will be sweet, and that all the time that he uses fostering those cherished relationships, that they will just produce a rekindled love and devotion between them. I know how cherish, how much he cherishes his family, and he is such a role model to them, and he gives his heart to them so unselfishly. And I just pray that this will be the sweetest time that he's experienced in a long, long time. I pray that you'll help all the solitude time that he spends with you to, um, as he said, he'll be doing some studying, he'll be doing some praying, he'll be journaling, he'll be um, dreaming. I just pray that they will produce exponential results, dear Lord. And I pray that as he returns to us, I love that word restored. I just pray that he will come back fully and abundantly restored. I pray that he will, that we will see his dedication to you be refreshed, that we will see the zeal for service be rejuvenated and re-energized, that we'll see his love for the church rekindled, and that his love in full submission to you in every aspect of his life, that he will be truly um, just a renewed, restored individual. We love him so much. We're going to miss him so much, and we're so thankful for him. But we lay, lay all these requests at your feet, thanking you in advance for what you're going to do. We can't wait for him to come back. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Father God, I just want to continue um, the thanks that we have as a church that we were able to do this for Chris, but more importantly, um, to do it for somebody who has, as we've even talked about this morning, uh, walked alongside us in the depths of our grief, have celebrated with us at baptisms and baby dedications, God, uh, and immense peaks in our life uh, as followers of you. God, I just thank you for the heart Chris has for building into people and that this time is a time for that work to pay off um, over the next eight weeks as we support the other leaders of this church. 
uh, God, I also just pray that you and your Holy Spirit would loom large in his life, God, that he would make space and that we would make space for him uh, as we just await uh, Chris's recirculation back into Crosswinds. Um, but God, we pray for that space. We pray that, and we know that you will fill that up. And God, as a uh, beautiful send-off, we just thank you for the baptisms that are happening today, God, that he has led so many in this community to follow you, myself included, in a way that is deeper than I could have ever imagined. Uh, Father, we just lift up Chris and his family. Uh, we just pray that that time of reconnection uh, that we often take for granted, God, that he um, just lives into that, that you make space, excuse me, uh, that you make space for him to embrace that as well. Uh, and God, in the solitude that he knows that you are there. Um, God, that you have never left him not once, uh, just as you walk alongside us all. Uh, we lift up Chris in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Thank you for praying with us this morning, and I trust and pray that as Chris comes to mind over the next several weeks that you will keep he and Andrea and their family in prayer. Thank you so much for coming today. We'll see you next week, or join us for baptisms in the courtyard starting about 10 minutes.